If I have not met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King Community Church. I'd like to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Special welcome to those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus. And uh, welcome as well to those of uh, you who are joining us online. We're glad that you're here with us. Just glad to be able to be a part of, of what it is that God is doing here at Christ the King Church. We've been doing a series called Cringe. And over the next two minutes, some of you are going to cringe about what I'm going to talk about, but I feel like I'm supposed to, because every two years I live a pastor's worst nightmare, okay? Every two years in November, this thing called an election happens, and inevitably somebody comes along and they ask me the question, Grant, when are you going to tell us who to vote for? (laughs) Are you kidding me, right? So here's what I'm going to say. This is a non-political place, and it always will be. The only politics we worry about here are the politics of Jesus. That's the way it's going to be. But as a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to allow your voice to be heard. And I want to encourage you to take your Bible, because that's the standard by which everyone should be judged, to take those principles, to apply them across to the decisions you need to make, and to take your, your responsibility very seriously, and to vote righteously. Period. End of sentence. That's it. We're moving on. Here we go. Okay. Funerals can be cringe moments. If I rolled a a coffin in here right now, that would freak some of you out. You go to funerals and things happen that kind of weird you out because you've all been at a funeral where somebody starts talking and they can't stop. You've been there when somebody does something weird. And everybody cringes because it's a hard moment. Some of you have been there when somebody takes a spiritual bumper sticker and they assign it to a family's pain or tragedy and everybody in the room except for the person who's talking goes, really? Funerals can be cringe moments. Walking with somebody as they grieve the loss of a loved one, it's heartbreaking. Tears, grief, pain, regrets, and anger. Those are the passengers that you take along when you walk through a funeral and you deal with grief. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. This weekend at Christ the King, at Bellingham and Ferndale, we're going to drop in on a funeral. We're going to attend the funeral of a young man that none of us have ever met and have never had the opportunity to spend any time with. We're going to meet his mom. And we're going to experience his pain and her pain as well. The funeral takes place in a little town called Nain. I did a ton of research on the town of Nain because when you study the Bible, locations are very important. I studied Nain, and you know what I found out about it? Nothing. There's nothing about Nain that makes it important. Nothing special. It's just a tiny little town. And that, because there's nothing about it, that's what makes it special. It could have been anywhere. It could have been Ferndale. It could have been Everson. Could have been Nooksack. Could have been Linden. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> I live there, I can say that, okay? Could have been Bellingham. It's just a normal place filled with normal people who encountered the grief of losing a loved one just like anybody else does and were doing the absolute best they could to deal with the pain. And in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11, we see what happens. We've been doing a series, before you get there, called Cringe. Moments where Jesus steps into situations and he says something and what he says makes people go, did he really just say that? Well, this weekend he's going to do it at a funeral. 
Here it comes. Verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. If you take this story apart, we find all kinds of stuff inside of this story. Here's what we find. We find two large crowds. Two groups of people, one being led by death and another being led by life. One being filled with pain, the other filled with unbelievable expectation. One caught in the fog of grief, the other just enjoying a regular, ordinary, beautiful day. One heading out of town, another one heading into town. Two groups of people, one being led by a broken-hearted mother who just lost her son, the other being led by a man who seemed to bring life with him everywhere he went. Two groups of people, two large crowds. You look deeper in the story, you see two broken hearts. The woman at the head of the procession was a single mom, and she was in deep, deep, deep trouble. She was a widow who just lost her son, and, and in that culture, that means she had, she had lost her ability to live. Her husband was gone. It was her son's responsibility to look after her. And now suddenly he's gone. And she's a single mom all by herself with no means of support. No place in the community. Perhaps not even a place to live. This lady would have basically had two options for the rest of her life. Begging or prostitution. That's what was left for her as a widow with no boys. She'd lost everything. She'd lost her son. And because of that, she'd lost her life. She's got a broken heart. But that's only one broken heart, isn't it? There's a second broken heart, and that's the heart of Jesus. The Bible says that the heart of Jesus went out to her. The Greek word used here is the one that describes the place where your emotions rest. From the bottom of the gut of Jesus, he felt for her. He was broken hearted. He was hurting for her. Jesus got that gnawing pain in the bottom of his gut because he knew her pain. He shared her pain. He knew loss. The Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we don't like that picture of Jesus. A man of sorrows. We like the strong Jesus. The confident Jesus. The in control Jesus. The anything but crying Jesus. We don't like this guy. Until we go through grief... And then we wonder, realize just how wonderful it is to have somebody who's acquainted with grief walk alongside of you when your heart's broken. Then and only then do you fall in love with the crying Jesus. Two large crowds, two broken hearts, and then two only sons. Don't miss that tiny little fact. It's important. The only son of the widow is gone, and the only son of God is standing in her way as she's making her way to the graveyard. Two large crowds, two broken hearts, two only sons, and because of the way the story's phrased, two mortal enemies, life and death. The two most powerful forces known to man are on a collision course. The irresistible force is about to meet the immovable object. Life and death are about to have a showdown, and there's going to be a winner, and there's going to be a loser. Most of us have been taught that death is certain and that death never gives way to anybody at any time under any circumstances. If you believe that, you've been taught wrong. If you've been taught that death is inevitable and you're just stuck with it, you've been misinformed your whole life. 
You don't know the other side of the story. We're going to see just how wrong that is in a couple of minutes. We're going to learn this. When Jesus tells death to move, death moves. When the king of life says, move aside death, it steps aside. That's a fight it does not want to pick because it can't win. Now here comes the cringe moment. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. Okay. We're going to have a hard time wrapping ourselves around this one because it's different in our culture. But I'll put it to you this way. Intruding on a funeral was unthinkable in that culture. Intruding on a funeral, like interrupting a funeral, it's still unthinkable in our day, but it was even more unthinkable back then. You don't just stand in the front of a funeral and block it. Those aren't the rules. You're supposed to pull to the side bow your head, have a moment of silence, and just let them walk by. That's what you're supposed to do. Those are the rules, even though nobody follows those rules anymore, and they probably should. You know? Let's have some respect. So I got a one or two with me, all right? You're supposed to just get out of the way. You're not supposed to stand in front of the grieving mother and say, don't cry. Don't cry. Are you kidding me? She's brokenhearted. Her kid just died. She's got no options. She's thinking, begging her prostitution. Which one am I going to do? And Jesus has the audacity to stand in front of her and say, don't cry. I'm sure her response was, all I can do is cry. All I've been doing is crying. Are you kidding me? What kind of therapeutic method do you operate under? That sounds cruel. That sounds mean. Unless, of course, you know what's coming next. Don't cry. I mean, I don't know, I'll make it as blunt as I can. You just didn't do that. You just didn't do that. And then the Bible says that not only does he say don't cry, he actually touches the coffin. Now we hear that and go, big deal. In that culture, every good Jewish person standing in that room would have done this the second he touched it. They would have gone... They would have gagged. That was the most disgusting, gross thing you could do as a good, upstanding Jewish person. They would have literally, some of them would have lost their lunch when when Jesus walked up and actually touched the coffin. Let me tell you why. Jesus is Jewish. And he had just made himself unclean in the eyes of all of the people. He was ceremoniously unclean in that moment. Everybody would have gone, ugh. It's like he was infected with H1N1 and everybody knew it. It's just like, whoa, you just stay over there, man. You're unclean. Keep your cough to yourself. Only this one wasn't physical. It was spiritual. They saw him as dirty suddenly. Jesus had just done something gross. You didn't touch dead bodies. According to Jewish custom, he defiled himself with the severest form of defilement. But you see, Jesus wasn't concerned about touching the defiled. He actually cared about restoring the defiled. You know what I love about Jesus? He's not afraid to be politically incorrect. He doesn't care what the rules are. He's an influencer, not the influenced. 
Christ the King, can I ask you a question? Could that same thing be said about you? Are you an influencer or the influenced? Are you rubbing off on everybody else or are they rubbing off on you? Jesus is not afraid to stand up in the middle of stuff and do things that don't make a ton of sense. Jesus is not afraid to break the rules. I mean, I went to seminary and I learned the rules of funerals. There were basically three. You don't make fun of the dead guy, ever. You don't giggle, ever. You don't laugh, you don't snicker, you don't do anything. You get a somber face. That's what you do all the way through. And the third thing was most important. You didn't ever tell the dead guy to wake up. Those are the rules of funerals. You learn them your first day, right? No giggling, no making fun of the deceased, and you don't talk to him and ask him to sit up and start talking. You just don't do that. Here it comes. Verse 14b through the end. Jesus went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And then he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Yeah, you think, right? I mean, can we just unpack this little piece? I love how the Bible lays this out. Let's go deep here for a second. It says that Jesus steps in front of the funeral procession and speaks with authority and says to the dead guy, get up. I'm sure some of the people in that moment were cringing. What are you thinking? Don't get her hopes up. This is her only son. I'm sure some of them were thinking, get get the crazy rabbi out of here. Somebody shut this boy down. That's rude. That's mean. That's not the way the rules work. You need to go away and leave us alone. I mean, he says, get up. Everybody holds their breath. Some of them are elbowing each other going, he's talking to the dead guy. And verse 15 says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. I have a question. What do you think he said? I think it depends on where he was coming back from. Think about it. If he's coming back from heaven, I'm sure the first thing out of his mouth was, eh? no, 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 no. Back here, are you serious? Hi, mom. Oh, bummer downgrade. I mean, really, right? I mean, if he came back from heaven, now if he came back from the other direction, it may just have been, that was hot, right? That was really hot and lonely. And dark. Now I just said that and some of you cringed. Because like me, you have family members and you're not sure what direction they went. Welcome to a broken world. And I wish I had something really beautiful and wonderful and pastoral to say to you. All I know is, and my hope is that you would find some prayer in the promise of heaven and that you'd do me a favor as a pastor and that you'd let me know at some point that you've chosen heaven so someday I can comfort your family and that they don't have to ask that question about your eternal destiny. Just a thought. 
he sits up and he starts talking. And then the Bible says Jesus gives him back to his mother. Can you imagine that reunion? Can you imagine what they must have said? Can you imagine the gratitude that must have poured out of her life? out of her heart, out of her mouth, thanking her that, that her dead-end life suddenly was back alive again, that the son that had died was suddenly back alive again. Christ the King, those of you that are believers, when was the last time you thanked God for giving back your life? When was the last time you fell on your face in gratitude and said, I was dead and dying. I was on a funeral procession and you interrupted me and I'd like to thank you for that interruption. Because I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I can see. The Bible says in verse 16, they were filled with awe and praised God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. And you notice something about what happens in the story? The two crowds all of a sudden get all mixed together. The procession of death and the procession of life the one that was following Jesus and the one that was following the coffin, they all get all twisted up together and suddenly... When death is defeated, these two groups merge. And you know what they become? A church. And they start talking about how amazing Jesus is. And they start giving praise to God. Suddenly, tears are turned into smiles. Cries are turned into shouts. Mourning is turned into laughter and joy. You know why? Because the power of Jesus is greater than the power of the grave. That's why these people all of a sudden can't be contained. Two processions started the day. One going into Nain, headed by Jesus, the Lord of life. The other going out of Nain, headed by death. And when they collide, there's a resurrection. Do you know why? Because death can't hold itself in the presence of God. Death doesn't reign when Jesus is around. Death is powerless and has to give way when it meets Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. And no one comes to the Father unless you go through him. And that's unbelievably good news. The final words of the story say this. This news about Jesus spread through Judea and the surrounding country. I mean, there's nothing like a formerly dead guy to create a bit of a stir, right? All of a sudden, it's like, what in the world is going on? It's the same thing back then as it is today. Jesus is the author of life, and out of death, he brings life. And when he does, his people celebrate. You know, the purpose of the miracle was so verse 17 could happen. The kid was raised to life so that the word would begin to spread that the Messiah had arrived. That light had come into darkness and that darkness was running scared. That's why this whole thing happened. The young man was raised from the dead so Jesus would get the glory and so that the news of his life would spread. That was the purpose and the purpose was served perfectly. I mean, just picture it. You're in a hearse driving for the graveyard and somebody has the audacity to jump in your way and say, stop. We're not done yet. Your kid's not gone yet. Jesus has the ability to jump into the middle of those situations because that's his purpose. To bring life into dead situations. 
So I unpacked the whole first part of, the, of, of, of the, the story for you, and I talked about all of the twos at the beginning, two crowds, two enemies, all of the twos. You get to the end of the story, you look back over it, and you know what else you find? You find a whole bunch of ones. You find one saved life, a young man who was dead but now is alive. You find one unbelievably thankful soul. I'll bet mom was very full of gratitude. What do you think? Right? One saved life, one thankful soul. And then out of that, you put those together and you find one worshiping family. Worshiping God, thanking him for for the rescue that had just happened. Out of one worshiping family, they're worshiping because one purpose was served. There was death, but now there is life. And ultimately, ruling and reigning over top of all of it is one triumphant Savior. This is what I love about the story. Jesus wins. Life wins. God wins. It was a funeral. Now it's a party. And the truth comes out. Death doesn't have the last word when Jesus is around. Death can't reign when Jesus is around. Death is powerless and has to give way when it meets the one who's the resurrection and the life. And the message of the gospel story is the same message that was proclaimed by Paul to the church at Corinth when he said, death has been swallowed up in victory. Let me give you a modern translation of that. Death, you're not all that. You're not that strong. You're like a dog with no teeth. You can gum us, but you can't bite us and draw blood because you got defanged by the king of life and his name is Jesus. We have been taught our whole lives to avoid death at all costs. And I agree with that. That's why I drive the Hannigan instead of the guy, okay? We have been taught... To avoid death at all costs. Avoiding death is good, but fearing death is not. You know why? Because you don't need to fear death if you know the king of life. Death didn't have the last word with the widow of Nain. And if you are here today in Bellingham or Ferndale and know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the best news I have for you is this. Death doesn't have the last word when it comes to you either should have gotten more amens from that one should have that's a reason to celebrate that's a reason to interrupt a funeral i mean that's a reason to live your life to the fullest i mean i don't know if you've noticed this or not but if you read through the gospels jesus has a nasty habit of messing up funerals everyone that he shows up to doesn't end up as a funeral i mean every time he walks in he interrupts it with the resurrection Death keeps getting swallowed up in victory. It happened with the son of the widow of Nain. It happened with Lazarus. It happened with the daughter of Jesus. Jesus interrupted his own funeral with with the resurrection. It's an incredible thing. And here's the coolest part. He can interrupt your funeral procession too. He did mine when I was eight. Minding my own business behind Linden Lane's elementary school. And God sent a guy named Andy from a school down south to do a five-day club, and he used an illustration of a shadow and sunshine, and he talked about light and dark, and I gave my heart to Jesus, and something bigger happened than me just meeting God that day. Jesus stepped in front of my funeral procession and said, we're not done yet. This one's mine. 
This one is mine. My question is, have you allowed Jesus to interrupt your funeral procession? Have you accepted Christ? Have you traded in a coffin for a crown? Have you chosen between life or death? Have you invited Jesus to interrupt your funeral with the resurrection? I can wait for my funeral, but on the day that it happens, if anybody in this room is there and you love me, on the day that I shed this rotting earth suit, I hope you'll shed about three tears and then I hope somebody will have the courage and the chutzpah to stand up in the middle of the funeral and shout at the top of your lungs, you don't need to cry because the boy ain't dead. I hope somebody will stand up and say, that boy knew Jesus. So we can cry for a little bit, but it doesn't need to go on and on and on and on because Grant would have wanted the party to start now. Do you know him? Do you know the man, the God-man, who interrupts funerals and turns them into parties and celebrations? Do you have that assurance of knowing your ultimate destiny? Do the people around you know the ultimate destiny of your life? Have you introduced yourself to the funeral wrecker? Because he'd love to wreck yours. Some of us would ask, how in the world do I do that? I believe you do it by praying a prayer of faith. Simply, honestly, bluntly. Where you say, Jesus, I give you my life right now, completely and wholly. I am spiritually dead. But you can make me alive. So I invite you to wash me white as snow. I believe you died on a cross and that you messed up your own funeral by coming back to life, defeating death in the grave once and for all. I ask you to be the Lord of my life and to use me to point more and more people towards you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I believe that that small faith statement will mess up your funeral for the rest of eternity. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that. I did a long time ago. And then I actually went back out again and kind of messed the whole things up and became a rebel and did my own thing and went a different direction. And I learned a really interesting lesson about Jesus. If you walk away, he'll follow you. And he'll just keep stepping in front going. And he does it because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you wrapped up in that old garbage. So we're going to have a moment to pray. And then we're going to close. And then on a weekend that's supposed to be all about darkness. We're going to smile and nod each other at each other as we walk out the door. Because we know that all the people are this, that are smiling. Know the God who loves to interrupt funerals. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I thank you 
for this simple Bible story. Thank you for not being culturally polite and just stepping to the side of the road and allowing the funeral procession to go by. Thank you for having a heart that was broken to the lady who just lost her son. Thank you that you were willing to get involved. And I pray that the veteran believers of Christ the King would see this as our high calling. That we would step in front of people that we love and know that we would step in front of their funeral procession and say, it doesn't need to be this way. Let me introduce you to a God who loves to interrupt funerals. May we see that as our high calling, God. Lord, I pray for anyone who might be here today who has never given their heart fully and completely to you. And I pray in the next couple of moments, God, that we would have a moment here where you would interrupt us. With your love and your grace and your mercy, God, we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. We're just unbelievably grateful that it's available. And I pray that if there is someone here who doesn't know you, that they would pray this prayer. Right here, right now. That this would be their moment when they step from death to life. Not because of anything that they've done, but because of everything that you've done on the cross of Calvary. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like to give you a moment to pray a prayer with me. A humble prayer that would simply say, Jesus, I give my life to you right now, completely and without reservation. I've done sin long enough, and right now I ask you to forgive this huge pile of sin that I have in the middle of my soul, and I ask that you would make me whole and wash me clean. I confess with my mouth that you're the Son of God, And you came to earth to show the purest form of love that you died on a cross and that you messed up your own funeral by coming back to life, defeating death in the grave once and for all. I ask you to be the Lord of my life, to wash me white as snow, to help me understand the power of confession and repentance friendship. I ask that you would use my life to make you famous. And I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. If we share a quiet moment right here, nobody's moving around. Never do anything to embarrass you. I hope you know that. But I'd love to know if you made a decision this week. I'd love to pray for you and celebrate the fact that Jesus just interrupted your funeral procession. So if that's you and you prayed that prayer in faith, believing, would you just stick your hand straight up? God bless you. And God bless you and you and God bless you and both of you. And God bless you and right up here in the front, God bless you in the back. 
Father God, thank you that you're still working the miracle of salvation even today. I pray over those who have opened their heart to you today. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would understand that this is the first in many, many faith steps that they will take. We pray that they would know that they have a family here, a family of faith who loves them. We encourage them and walk with them even when life gets tough. Father, I pray that they would know you and the power of your resurrection and they would be forever changed because of this moment. I thank you for new life in Christ. And I thank you that we can celebrate And I pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.